0: Previously, on episode eight of On a Personal Note. Franz Vilser most picked up the phone, and I explained that both the tenor and the baritone were not feeling well, that both had been to the hospital, and both had seen an ENT. And Franz, who has been working with singers for most of his life, was very, very calm, which made me feel more hysterical.
1: The only thing I remember was Franz going, So! standing in my dressing room, you know, me just looking at him like, uh, what's going on? And he was saying, so, the guys aren't coming, so it's just you and me, kid.
0: Welcome to the Cleveland Orchestra's On A Personal Note, where we explore the many ways music shapes our lives. In difficult situations, or moments of sheer joy, music connects us with our humanity.
1: My name's Golda Schultz. I am a soprano. And today we're going to be talking about what goes down in history for me as one of the craziest debuts I've ever made. The night I sang Haydn's The Seasons. It was a cold, cold January evening in, in Cleveland, and I remember just like, being at the hotel, getting myself together. And my usual routine when I'm getting myself together for a a debut is really, I try to be like as mentally focused as I possibly can. I'm going through my music. We'd had a a really a good couple of rehearsals and I felt like I knew what I was doing. But it's my first time singing Haydn's The Seasons. It's my first time really like trying to figure out Haydn's way of writing music and also, you know, also trying because I sing so much Mozart there there was a tendency and I still remember this in the rehearsals. there was a tendency that I would just instead of doing what Haydn wrote I would do what my brain considered to be a Mozartian turn at the end of phrases or the way that I approached certain things and Franz had to consistently remind me Golda it's Haydn not Mozart so just sing what's there and I'm like okay but doesn't this sound better and he's like that's not the point I'd asked to be picked up quite early. And when I get to the Severance Hall, France is already there, which was I'm, I'm not used to him being at, at the venue so early because I really came like quite early too. Because I wanted to just be in this space. And he came into my room and he just comes into <laughs> the dressing room and says, So I have something to tell you, and I don't want you to panic. But both of the wonderful gentlemen we were both sick and just wouldn't be able to do it and it would just be little old me and the choir and the orchestra and, he's, and then he said and I'll just like fill in everything else that they talk about but we're going to do all of your musical moments. He went through that entire score and just Took it to pieces and just went from here, we cut to this moment, from here, we cut to here. And if the, and if the, and if the, I think if, when they told him, oh, that doesn't quite work, he'd just go, okay, so then I'll talk while everybody else finds their pages and where they need to be, and then we'll keep it going. But he was so comfortable with just being a little narrator and he was having fun with it. And like I said, like for me, that was the first time I'd ever seen him so loose and so so free and easy, and it was so impressive because it was another. I realized that there was so much more to him, and even as a conductor, there was another facet that he hadn't even allowed us to see yet, or at least me as a as a soloist who's worked with him a couple of times. I hadn't even been allowed to see that until that moment, and once I saw that, I was like, it just opened up a whole scope of how I could work with him in the future.
2: Now further into the spring, the not present peasant uh, would sing about the joy going out on the fields, working on the fields and then of course uh, in in spring, Haydn then talks about the richness of nature and uh, what nature provides and that it's much more than we ever can consume.
1: Because you really didn't have time to panic after he told me that and he walked out of my dressing room, I realized there's no time to panic. You actually just have to, like, go through the music now and make sure that you can pace yourself and get through it and go moment to moment. And I kind of feel that that's possibly a new best way to do a debut (laughs) because having to live moment to moment stops you from being in the mistake you made on the previous page or worrying about the mistakes that are possibly coming on the next page. because it was so concentrated it was so energetic and it was just so alive that even the choir was saying you know they felt so alive in that moment and the orchestra was just there was just this buzz this is what music making is music making is such an alive thing and I think this was the most extreme and concentrated experience I've ever had of that. He's always helped me concentrate on the moment I'm in with him musically. I can never go back to, oh, I wish I'd done that phrase a little bit better because there's so much beautiful tension in the way he conducts and the way he structures his music that you kind of have to concentrate on now. And what he was able to do is that even in all of that chaos, and it was veritable chaos if you really look down at it, he was able to make space for us all mentally to be free enough to create and that's really something special like it's it's a it's it goes down in my memory as really it was an educational experience that that evening just watching him work and knowing that he was working but it was also fun for him and when we when the concert was over he, he was so full of energy. I think we were all so full of energy after the concert because it was such a high. It was just, you just had such this baby kick that you just like went out into the world and you were just zzz, zoom zooming around. And I think it's really down to what he did. He was really, you know, if you want somebody to hop in in a crisis, I would always suggest call France because he can pick up the pieces that everybody else like kind of just like leaves on the floor and builds it into something beautiful. And I think from the audience perspective, I think when they applauded, it was such joyful applause, and it was such grateful applause that... We had tried, we had, we, had, we had attempted to climb Mount Everest as broken as we were, you know, without our full complement with us, but we had traversed many a mountain together and we'd come out on the other side, possibly a little worse for wear, but, you know, bright eyed and very proud of ourselves. And they could sense that, that pride in what we had achieved and they were proud of us, for us with us, that they could also witness it. So I think that moment of the applause at the end was just pure joy and gratitude. I remember that feeling so, so strongly. Honestly, when I think back to that debut, I still cannot, kind of, I cannot believe that I actually did it. I think if I was probably a more sensible human being, I probably would have said, I'm so sorry, I can't work under these conditions. <laughs> but... I don't think I would have been able to really be as free and open to the moment if it wasn't him. Because I know whatever else, France respects me as a musician. End of story. He respects my, my musical ideas. He respects my, 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 um, my intentions that I'm trying to achieve musically with my phrasing. He understands when he hears what I'm singing, what I'm trying to do, and he helps me achieve the goal. Because I know that he trusts me, it somehow helped me trust myself in that moment. Because he came to the room and he's like, I think this is totally fine. You and me, we got this. I remember him saying that. And just knowing that he trusted me fully, even though he knew it was the first time that I was singing this piece, even though he knew that it was my debut with the orchestra, he knew all of that. He still went down to the core thing of being a musician. And that's trusting your partner trusting the other people in the room who are making music with you to do their jobs. And that's such a that's such a like a tip of the hat from someone who's so who's so well known for for being so 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 very decided about and very very clear about what it is that he's trying to achieve. And days later, still getting messages from people, even years later, I still get messages from people that tell me that's still the most epic night I've ever been at at Severance Hall. That was crazy. And the way you all handled it was amazing. It's stuck in people's heads. It's stuck in their hearts. And I and I don't think not to say that if we'd been like, you know, our full contingent there and doing it all beautifully, not to say that we wouldn't have tapped into people's hearts and minds and imaginations. But I don't think that it would have been such a memorable performance as it was.
0: My name is Mark Williams. I'm the Chief Artistic Officer at the Cleveland Orchestra. After the performance, all of the performers were exhausted. While we'd only played an hour of this... What should have been a two and a half hour concert, the amount of concentration for the musicians was was huge.
3: My name is Ilya Gadolovich, and I'm the artistic administrator. You know, I I can go through a lot of takeaways, starting from don't program vocal works in the middle of winter, um, and certainly ending with the with the with the artistry of, of Franz. I think the I think the biggest takeaway, you know, I think Golda Schultz was, in retrospect, the best person. To, to have cast for this role. I think her voice is absolutely perfectly matched for the piece. And I think that she has the, the you know, frankly, sense of humor and the flexibility um, to, to deal with this kind of almost absurd situation with
0: incredible aplomb. On the following Wednesday night, we played the piece at Carnegie. And the happy ending is, it was the only time that the full original cast played the piece together. And I'll never tell which version I preferred.
1: Everybody was there, finally, all three of us together. And it was, I, I remember it was just so strange. I was like, oh my gosh. There you guys are. I haven't seen like both of me in the same room together since the day we rehearsed this thing. Like, it was. And it was really strange because this was, that also ended up being my Carnegie Hall debut.
3: You know, honestly, I think I remember being more nervous at the Carnegie performance than I was uh, here, because while all all three soloists were were uh, healthy, there's always in the back of your mind you know that that little bit of a worry of are they are they really healthy (laughs) and and the performance was was absolutely stunning but uh but I remember being for whatever reason being more on the edge of my seat there
1: out of those three performances I think each one of them is special for very different reasons but the only reason that the first performance really stands out is because it change something about the way i see myself learning to trust myself as a human being as an and as mostly as an artist and a musician and i don't think people ever think that like you know standing on stage singing for a bunch of people is ever going to give you a sense of a sense of your true self but that night definitely stands up there for me so i think which one of these nights made you better understand who you are. It's definitely the first night. Which one's my favorite? They're all. Anytime I get to perform, is my
4: favorite.
1: As a debut, I think it's a perfect debut in the sense that I was working with somebody who trusted me beyond how much I trust myself. And that's a real gift that that I don't think a lot of conductors realize that if they gave more, more of us, that gift of their trust in us to do our job, we'd give them everything they want. That's the, that's the special spice that I think is what, of what makes a really great conductor. It's how much trust they give the people around them to truly shine and like how to bring all of that shimmer together to make it really something special and he that night just knew exactly how to make it all come together and i'm really grateful that i could have like been there and like just add my little bit of something to some to a memory that's really very special to everybody i think who was involved in it <laughs>
0: Nothing could compare to the mad scramble that took place in the hours leading up to that January performance of Haydn's choral masterpiece. But once the seasons began, it all just faded away. You may have heard the overture in Episode 8, and you can listen to the rest of the program in just a moment. In the meantime, we hope you've enjoyed this second season of On a Personal Note as much as we've enjoyed making it. Subscribe where you get your podcasts, and you will never miss an episode.
2: The two guys... also had a great sense of humor. Uh, The two guys would be singing that winter goes away, the snow is melting, and you get the first smell of spring. the spring, the not present peasant uh, would sing about the joy going out on the fields, working on the fields. And then of course, uh, in, in spring, Haydn then talks about the richness of nature and uh, what nature, Provides and that it's much more than we ever can consume. And then uh, he talks also about what a lovely sight that is looking at everything becoming green and beautiful. And now we are going, it's a big cut, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so we are basically done with the spring. <laughs> As it has to be in an oratorio, uh, at the end of a big section comes a fugue, where, where actually we praise the Lord. And so that's the way Haydn ends the spring. <laughs> and, he, and actually, you know, as all this is sort of improvised... Please forgive us if not everything works immediately. But, uh... <laughs> about then and we know that in Cleveland in the summer when it gets really hot and sticky and nature suffers from that (coughs) after that he says but you know when you go into the shadow and you get a little bit of fresh air you will be rejuvenated And that's what we are going to play and sing now. really hot in the summer, you need also a good thunderstorm. So, uh, the next thing we're going to play is that stillness before the thunderstorm (coughs) breaks out, and then uh, you will hear what extraordinary musical language uh, Heidi finds for describing really an earth-shattering thunderstorm. Dark clouds disappear. Imagine it's late afternoon in in August, let's say, and because the air gets clear again, nature awakens. You hear frogs and crickets and whatnot, and the people get ready to go to bed, and uh, that's that concludes the summer and as I said before, Haydn had a great sense of humor so the girls and the boys go to bed and if you listen carefully then you will hear also that one instrument portrays that maybe one of the boys, um, yeah a little <laughs> A little body noise slips up. <laughs> The introduction for the fall is the joy the farmer has that the harvest is really rich. follows uh, a path where Haydn talks about to achieve something unique diligence. And after that, he ri- reminds us that the fall can be also a time of fun. There's, in my, to my knowledge, there's a, an aria for the base uh, which he actually dedicates to a dog I don't think, at least to my knowledge in music history, it's the only aria written for a dog. (laughs) But then, actually, he says, time for fun and the hunt, and you hear not only the hunting horns, you hear barking dogs, you hear the deer fleeing, and so on and it's really a rousing, rousing chorus. the joy having a glass of wine and maybe another one and maybe another one and you can hear then how the whole thing sort of gets more and more drunk. <laughs> the bass sings that the year comes to an end and again there comes from the north icy cold wind and then Golda is going to sing about that in the winter light and also life is gone. Thank you. Ben Haydn describes uh, somebody who is walking in the snow, in the dark, and is looking for uh, a shelter, is looking for a light. And finally, he finds that house. And in that house, there are ladies and gentlemen and it's warm and cozy in there and of course they are also that was the time before TV and radio uh, they are telling stories to each other and all the ladies are sitting at the spinning wheel and that's the next aria with chorus but of course keep in mind that uh, all that is a symbol for something. So the spinning wheel at the end of this aria comes to a standstill. tell another story and in, in this aria she sings about a noble man which comes on his horse to on the countryside sees a beautiful girl he has his eyes on and he says, you know, give me a kiss and she tricks him and the end of the story is that actually took the horse and went (laughs) away. (laughs) meant with all this is the circle of life. We have started at the winter, we end there again and actually in the last area of the base he really reflects on life and at the end he says the only thing throughout all seasons what remains is really virtue and dignity. And so, to conclude this sort of highlights of high <laughs> seasons, we're going to play the very end. We have to start somewhere in the middle. So, uh, but it's it's a praise of the Lord. The text at the end says and guide us through all that what we experience in life. You have been a wonderful audience. <laughs>